baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. In February, the country celebrated Black History Month, and President Joe Biden fulfilled a campaign promise to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court by picking Katanji Brown Jackson to replace outgoing Justice Stephen Breyer, a white man. Can an unborn child feel pain at 20 weeks in the birthing process? Senator, I don't know. Jackson, who is set to be the first black woman appointed to the court, sat through what has been called bitter and hostile questioning during her confirmation hearings. Likewise, it's not about race. We will see Democrats in the media suggest that any senator that is skeptical of your nomination, that questions you vigorously or that dares to vote against you must somehow harbor racial animus. Why are we still celebrating firsts such as Jackson's nomination? The fact that we're still making history says a lot. And I don't think that history is about what Black women are doing or have done, but more about how entrenched systemic injustice, systemic inequities are, that it would take this long for there to be this historic moment. This week on Connect the Dots, we're joined by Dr. Treva B. Lindsay of The Ohio State University's Department of Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies, and author of Colored No More, Reinventing Black Womanhood in Washington, D.C. We're also joined by Professor Rory Little of the UC Hastings College of Law in San Francisco. We'll discuss Jackson's nomination, her confirmation hearings, and what it all reveals about representation in our federal government. I'm Odyssey's Lauren Barry, and this is Connect the Dots. Our Connect the Dots producer, Dempsey Palat, recently spoke with Dr. Treva B. Lindsay about Jackson's nomination. What do you think about the SCOTUS nominee? What are your thoughts? Well, first and foremost, I think it's obviously a historic moment that it says something very telling that we have not had a Black woman on the bench in the multiple hundred years history of the SCOTUS. So on one hand, that is what I'm enthused about. I am enthused because there's recognition. Obviously, um, she is very qualified uh, for this position when we're looking at the judicial record, the work with, working on the appellate court. She is someone who worked with the now retiring Justice Breyer. So the record in that way to me is unassailable. She will have the most trial experience of anybody on that court when she gets there. That's Rory Little, a nationally recognized law expert who has worked with Supreme Court justices. She has set a very high bar. It will be difficult for someone in the future to have the qualifications that she has, even in equality to hers. It's going to be hard to find somebody better than her, qualified in a lot of objective ways. So this is not a question of identity or this, but the importance of thinking about what a Black woman's perspective on the law might offer, what her experiences in the judiciary, um, how she sees the world, interprets the Constitution will matter deeply. On another hand, 
it's hard to think about and get as excited as I think a lot of people might be about this, given the status of the judiciary at this point. We are absolutely in a highly politicized um, moment and highly politicized era in which the judiciary clearly was still thinking about a 6-3 split if we're thinking of people voting along the lines of how they voted in the past. If we look at precedent uh, within the court, of course you have different decisions that fall out differently and sometimes you get a 5-4, but essentially we have a very right-leaning court at this point. And so this nominee, while important in a historical sense, I'm trying to think about the day-to-day -day of what that impact is of having her on there beyond the importance of making the course more representative of who the constituents of the United States are. So do you think if, let's say, if she was going to be the tie-breaking seat, for lack of a better word, you think people would be more excited? That, that's what it sounds like, right? I think there would be more energy and even more investment in this process. I think there was the initial announcement. It was something that Biden promised on the campaign trail that he would nominate a Black woman to the court uh, if he got a seat. And he did that. He fulfilled that. And so I think there was that initial excitement. But then you kind of sit back and see that, does this really shift the court? Does this shift what we're hearing? Are we going to get more of those dynamic opinions now that we get from a justice like Sotomayor, um, who is often dissenting from the voices of her colleagues? And are we going to get, you know, double that now, perhaps? Um, and that is, remains to be seen. But I do think that there would be even more enthusiasm, more political back and forth and hot potato were this judiciary not already so heavily leaning to the right. No doubt she will have an impact on the court. And, she, you know, she's a black woman who's a former public defender and she's replacing a white man who's, you know, 30 years older than her, um, who was never a practicing lawyer. Um, so they're very different. Um, she is more liberal than Breyer. Breyer is actually pro-government sometimes. I mean, we call him one of the liberals, but he's not actually nearly as liberal, say, as Justice Sotomayor. Uh, Judge Jackson will be more liberal than him on some issues. Um, I'm very interested to see how her very clear, sincere religious faith plays out as we debate a bunch of religion issues over the next couple of years. That is the big battleground right now at the Supreme Court for this year and the coming years. Um, and we don't actually know how that's going to play out. Uh, she will have views on some issues that we don't anticipate today because we don't even know what the issues are. The issues change over time. And then the last thing I really think you have to say here, this is not a new phenomenon. This is, it is not a new phenomenon that a, a justice can impact the politics or the ideology of the court. When we put Judge uh, Justice Barrett on the court, Amy Coney Barrett, and she was replacing uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, that was a huge shift in ideology. That was very different than what you're seeing now, where in some sense we're replacing somebody who's just a little bit more to the left, maybe, than the person she's replacing. Coney Barrett, a conservative-leaning judge, was appointed by former President Donald Trump to replace left-leaning Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was the fifth female justice appointed in the history of the court. While thousands of representatives have served in the U.S. Congress since it first convened, 
Fewer than 400 women and fewer than 200 Black Americans have been elected to the House and Senate. A record-breaking number of women held congressional seats as of last summer, but they still made up only 27% of the total body. If you could compare this nomination to another monumental female first, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, So when I think back, you know, I think about Jeanette Rankin, who is the first woman who's elected to Congress um, in, uh, in U.S. history. And though she is problematic in many ways, pretty racist. <laughs> and many of these, she's also a, a senator who votes, she's a congressperson who votes against war. She's a consistent anti, she's a consistent peace activist for the length of her, her career. And I think that's really important. That's a perspective that she brings. She's maligned for it. She's voted out for it. She's heckled for it, for taking stances against um, the world war. And I think that's an important history. What does it mean? Sometimes there's this kind of facetious laughter. If there were more women in office, then we'd be at war less. And while I think that's a flattening of a really complex issue, it is interesting to note that the first congressperson who's elected as a woman is someone who is staunchly a peace activist and an anti-war um, position that she holds strong on even when she's out of office. And so that does lend a different kind of perspective to um, elected office. And so I think with this moment, seeing something like this, thinking about these groundbreaking moments in women's history that the ceiling gets a chip in it. I'm not someone who's always convinced that the ceiling gets broken because we're still having to have first and we're still having to think about the same obstacles in place that once were there just because someone exceptionally moved through all the obstacles that it took to get there doesn't mean the obstacles are, aren't still in place and aren't still intact. And so I think it's important in a historical framework to think about the obstacles that remain and what work we're doing to dismantle those and giving people more people an opportunity to aspire in real ways to these different positions of power. Rankin was elected in 1917. Shirley Anita Chisholm became the first Black woman elected to Congress 53 years ago. Carol Mosley Braun became the first Black woman to serve in the Senate in 1993. It's not that far at all. So It's not that far. I mean, and if we think about the longer history of just various elected offices, we can go back to Shirley Chisholm as the first major candidate for um, to run as a major for a major party, even though you have black women who did run before her, vote on different parties, the Working Families Party, the Communist Party, the People's Party, but she's the Democratic uh, candidate and that's historic and that's only 50 years ago. So we're, we're trying to really have this robust conversation about what representation can mean. So someone like Carol Mosley Braun, who is a historic Senate member of Black women, um, who is elected to the Senate, uh, Kamala Harris, you're still talking about a small number. The fact that I can name them <laughs> is indicative of a, a true issue, Nikki Haley, like that of women of color more broadly, and then thinking about Black women specifically um, to the Senate, where you see a slightly better track record is in the House of Representatives. But even that, we're still talking about 50, 60 years of that history, as opposed to 
the hundreds of years that our Congress has existed. And representation is just one step towards meaningful change for marginalized groups. Let alone if we then drill down and say, okay, now we have these Black women candidates, what are her politics? Um, I think that matters in this conversation as well. Is this uh, an instance in which, you know, you get a historic nominee like Clarence Thomas, which is historic for various reasons, filling the seat of Thurgood Marshall, and has been someone in many ways that I think Black voters in particular have very, very critical of. Um, and his in his rulings and his decisions and his votes uh, since he's been a part of SCOTUS. He's absolutely seen as one of the most conservative justices um, on the court at this time in Robert's court. And so, you know, then we can't we can't even get to that point where a lot of people are looking at the actual politics of the candidate because we're still trying to say, hey, a black woman can be a Supreme Court justice. So do you expect more monumental? A female firsts in the future? If so, what, what, what is your ideal set? <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see waves of progressive, dynamic women, uh, non-binary, gender expansive people who are elected officials. That would be amazing. Um, but the key word in there for me in many ways is progressive. We're facing a lot of intense battles right now and a lot of things that marginalized communities are being disparately impacted by, whether that be voting rights, uh, reproductive care, uh, for thinking about what is taught in our schools. I mean, we see this and the judiciary getting to weigh in on so many things, healthcare. And so I think it's really important for us to, yes, think about the significance of getting more folks in who are coming from these backgrounds that have been marginalized and haven't been represented um, in Congress and the White House, in local politics, as governors, as mayors. I think that's important. And I want us to be substantive in our enthusiasm about who these individuals are and what they bring. And do they represent the interests of the communities from which you know, we feel that extra excitement. So will Black women feel represented in the votes of Katani Jackson? Will, will, will we feel that? I hope so. I hope that there feels like there's a perspective on the court that is deeply connected to the experiences of those who are marginalized within the legal system by racism, by sexism, and by other marginalizing forces. Jackson's four days of confirmation hearings are over, and she is expected to be confirmed by the Senate before April 8th. This hasn't always been the process for nominating a Supreme Court judge. Rory Little shared a little bit about the history of the process with Connect the Dots executive producer Mallory Samara. You know, you, as you go back, I mean, I think, I think Justice Stevens was confirmed like within three days of his nomination or something. I don't know. And if you go back further than that, people are confirmed the day they're nominated. Like George Washington would nominate somebody in that afternoon, they'd confirm him. Yeah, I mean, there were no hearings. There, 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 there were no hearings uh, until the 1920s. Yeah, Brandeis was the first time there was ever a hearing. There were no public hearings until I think it was the 1950s. And now they're being <laughs> televised for everybody to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the the world is very different now than it used to be, right? And as far as the hearings go, we saw 
a multitude of questions being asked of of her, particularly, are babies racist? Did Do you go to church regularly? Um, what are some of your impressions of the way that these hearings were sort of conducted? Well, you know, it's a shame. I, we, we sort of, I, I think they evolved over time, right? So the first day, everyone was very welcoming to Judge Jackson. Everyone was very deferential to her and said what a great record she had. This is Republicans as well as Democrats, that they expected everything to be kind of smooth and respectful. Um, and, and there really didn't seem to be a lot of traction. As the hearing went on, uh, you saw things evolve. First, you saw uh, Senator Hawley and Tom Cotton raising issues about child pornography cases and that nobody thought would have any traction. And then apparently on the far right sort of Twitter sphere, they started to get some traction and suddenly you saw senators asking harder questions, not really harder, but nastier. Um, and and so the questions evolved, I think, uh, to being somewhat somewhat nasty and disrespectful. Although, uh, frankly, Judge Jackson did better than a lot of recent nominees. I mean, she did not lose her cool, even when you might expect her to lose her cool. She did not lose her composure. She she handled questions with patience and with deliberateness. You know, if we think back to Justice Kavanaugh, and when Kavanaugh was really being attacked for certain allegations, he lost his composure. He lost his cool. It didn't prevent him from being confirmed because when you have the political numbers, you're going to be confirmed. And the Democrats had the numbers here and the Republicans had the numbers when when Kavanaugh was up. Um, but but we got a different impression of the what's the underlying human being like in Justice Kavanaugh's case versus Justice Jackson's case. Um, and I think that's the only purpose the, ser- the, the hearings serve, the only purpose they serve is for the rest of America to kind of get a look at this person and to see if this person loses their cool. Do they maintain their composure in the face of difficult questions? Are they patient in their explanation of points that might seem obvious to a lot of people? And and she did very well on that score. She did better than most nominees that I can think of in the last, say, 15, 20 years. Despite the absurd questions Jackson faced from some Republican senators, Little is confident that she will become the first black woman on the Supreme Court with approval from the Senate. The Democrats have a majority. So the, the Judiciary Committee, I mean, unless something very unexpected happens, the Judiciary Committee will vote by majority uh, to on party lines to confirm. That, that recommendation will then be sent to the full Senate. Uh, the full Senate will then decide... Um, when to bring it up on the floor, but uh, my understanding is they expect to bring it up on the floor before Easter, uh, and then they will vote. And assuming, again, that it's party line, it'll be 50 to 50. Uh, and, and she may get a couple of Republican votes yet. She may get Susan Collins or, or the senator from Alaska. Um, but then if it's 50-50, Kamala Harris will be the tiebreaker. She's the vice president. And that would, in some sense, be very sweet, right? That would be sort of sweet karma if uh, if it was the first black woman to be vice president uh, were to be the tiebreaker for the first black woman to be uh, uh, confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. But But nobody really thinks this will go any other way than that because uh, the Democrats hold hold the numbers. Um, and there really was nothing in the hearings that would suggest that there's any sort of unusual reason to delay anything. 
As the nation waits for the Senate to confirm Jackson, Dr. Lindsay hopes that this moment will lead to more firsts, and seconds, and thirds, and so on, for women, Black Americans, and other marginalized groups. And on the issue of representation, do you think that having somebody like Katanji on the court, you think we're going to see a lot more um, female lawmakers, Black female lawmakers? What do you think? That, do you think this is going to have a positive uh, effect on the future? I mean, I think that there are definitely more people interested. You know, sometimes it's a matter of like seeing the possibility for other people to imagine themselves uh, and imagine themselves as an aspirational goal to be a Supreme Court justice, to be on the appellate court, to be a judge, right, at, at various levels. I think it absolutely can have that kind of impact. And I think that matters on um, a number of levels for people seeing themselves as part of these different processes, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and our legislative branch, that all of them need some some infusion of some different perspectives and different backgrounds and different kinds of energy. And I am hopeful that more people who are seeing what's happening and discontent with what's happening um, are thinking about running for office, organizing, helping with the electoral justice campaigns. There's so many ways to be involved in shaping the future of the nation and and in turn having an impact on the world more broadly because of the United States' place within the world and politics. This episode of Connect the Dots was written and produced by me, Lauren Berry, and Dempsey Pilat, with editing, mixing, and mastering by KCBS Radio's Mallory Samara, who is also the show's executive producer. Subscribe to Connect the Dots and listen to past episodes by heading to the Odyssey app or Apple and Google Podcasts. From Odyssey in Chicago, I'm Lauren Berry. Thanks for listening. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.